You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Lowcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to Making Tracks. I'm Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who, if it was a Star Wars water pistol, would it be a dribbler, a squirter, or a soaker? It's Mark Lowcaster. Mark, how are you doing? <laughs> I would be a super a soaker. Ah, that makes all the sense in the world. I'm very well, my friend. How are you? It feels like forever since I've seen you, but actually it was only last weekend. It was only last weekend. LFCC, we had yeah. uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun at London yeah. Film and Comic Con. As you probably remember last week, I hurt my back quite badly, so I was hobbling around LFCC. If you saw a guy in a Phantom Track shirt shuffling around London Film and Comic Con like Elton John walking on stage at Glastonbury, that was me. <laughs> That was me, and no toilet accidents happened. I just hurt my back, so I could have done without that. But other than yeah. that, it was a very, very, very good weekend. Really enjoyed it. How about you, mate? I had such a good time. You know, these, these three-day conventions are fairly long because, actually, it's four days, really, for me because mm. I have to go and set up stuff what, the day before, and, and the run-up suddenly becomes a bit more admin, and, you know, you've got member expectations to deal with. And yeah other bits and bobs and that and i was feeling dave tree's stress levels mm. kind of increase and stuff yeah and i had a really good time and i think partly that was down to the fact i spent the friday in both my x-men pilot costume and a stormtrooper costume because we were a little bit light on imperials on the friday saturday i did the whole day in my stormtrooper costume which was uh good fun albeit very sweaty and hot at the end of it and then sunday i did my x-wing pilot and I, I made the most of it and normally i don't tend to kind of go for the autographs or kind of spend much time away but i got a photo with tamara morrison with some of the other members of the 501st and oh, amanda Merckx and rebel legion that was on a friday probably one, one of my most favorite lfccs i think for you know for a while anyway so that's i'm very happy about that Loads of people come up to me in costume. Unless I can see their face, I nine times out of ten don't know who it is. So I'm just mm-hmm. nodding and smiling and saying, yeah, cheers, yeah. mate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes I cotton on when they've walked. Oh, that was so-and-so, that was so-and-so, that was so-and-so. I always know you when you walk up in a Stormtrooper outfit because basically <laughs> you're as wide as you are tall. So you are very easy to, <laughs> very easy to spot. Good. I will do that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, actually. Somebody else said to me, you kind of like, I, I kind of channel the power of a force to you Stormtroopers. Are. 1995 like, Stormtrooper, that's it. Hell yeah. You know, which is definitely my my, my era of Stormtroopers. I'm, I'm, I'll go with that. <laughs> I can live with that one. Yeah. So did you manage to pick anything up at the convention or have you had anything into your collection since uh, I last saw you? Picked up lots of little bits and bobs. Again, it was, it was more the small stuff. The neatest thing I got they did at Celebration some very small, limited-run pins, circular pins, maybe, I don't know, two centimetres in diameter. There was three. There was a salacious crumb, which I picked up at Celebration, and at LFCC from the Incognito stand, I got the Sabine Wren pin cool. and the Biker Scout pin. So not a huge amount of stuff, mostly smallish stuff. And then walking around, I didn't have my eye on anything, which is always handy. I was watching my pennies. The most money I spent was 40 quid on a massage for my bad back. Um, 
but uh, which worked for about 30 minutes. But thank you to the wonderful lady that gave some really good advice. Massage angels, yeah. Absolutely. Got four books. The yellow cover junior readers edition of Star Wars, which I'd already got, but my previous copy was battered. This was a much nicer copy. And then the young readers, English edition, young readers version of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which I'd never got. And then two French books. There was a French edition of Temple of Doom and a French edition of Last Crusade, which had the same cover as the UK one. The Temple of Doom one was pristine. It had a cover Mm. I've never seen before. So I was really pleased with them. I like picking up the odd sort of foreign language book. That was it, really. But same as you. I had a really great time. Like I said, my back threw me out a little bit, so I I probably looked like I was having the worst time. I wasn't. I was having a really nice time. Loads of Panthers were there. The whole Star Wars zone was busy. The great lads from Jedi News were there. Star Wars Sessions were there. Dave was there doing his stuff with Martin Keeler. There was all sorts of folks knocking around. It was it was a good atmosphere. Jamie Richards, the artist, was there. It was always great to catch up with Jamie. So it was a really good atmosphere. Hopefully, it happens again next year. We get a load of other good people as well. Did you buy anything? Funnily enough, I brought some pins as well, but not the same pins as you did, but they were circular. There was a store selling uh, these Black Series collector's pins. I don't know if you've okay. had any of these in the past. These are circular. Again, they're probably about the same kind of size, probably about an inch or so. And they had quite a few of them. And basically, they had two series. They had uh, a series which was on white card, which is, you know, the old black and orange card back design. So they did a set which had white cards, and then there's a set that had like the black cards uh, with the orange designs. And I, I thought, oh, they're really cool. Uh, what you'll find is actually with costumers, they tend to, by default, pick up character pins and stuff like that for their characters. So I picked up a Boba Fett and a Stormtrooper, you know, just to kind of uh, save some grief later on. I picked up a Princess <laughs> Leia for, for Karen. Well so those were the only things I, I brought. But then just the other day... Star action figures had got a bit of a sale on. Literally only a couple of years ago, they released the Navarro Cantina set, yeah, which was about 60 or 70 quid. They're selling it for like 17 quid. The day after I got back from LFCC, the villains box set of the 1997 Hong Kong commemorative mm. edition that arrived. So I've now got both of those. So I can kind of like sleep easy, but I don't need to kind of worry about that. Haven't had a couple of weeks where it was a fairly drought ridden time. Things are picking up again. I did pick up one other thing up from all the cool stuff. Basically, it's the Cam Kennedy Dark Empire Boba Fett paint job they've done on the vintage figure. Nice. Really, really nice. So I grabbed that. Uh, and just to say, whilst we were at the show last year, we raised collectively £1,000 for Angelman. Mm-hmm. This year, all of us together did what we did at Celebration and raised money for Make-A-Wish. And so between, like I say, you guys in the Rebel Legion, Mando, Merc, Sabre Guild, the Garrison, all the cool stuff, Star Wars Sessions, Jedi News, Jamie Richards, everybody else, we managed to raise £2,000 this time. That's right, yeah. Which was phenomenal. Yeah. Not only because this year's London Film and Comic Con used just the one hall because there's lots of work going on there. So there was just the one hall available this time. So they used the one hall. So I think to to manage to bring in double what we brought in last year says a lot about the visibility of the Star Wars zone, the placement of where we were next to that second stage definitely helped. So it just feels every year there's just that little dialing up of what the zone can do and the visibility of the area and what the collective teams involved are doing. So I, I was really chuffed with that. Amen to that, brother. We were really happy, really happy, very proud. And um, it make a wish, even more happy, because obviously, you know, um, with what we raised at Celebration, which on the floor between Fan for Tracks, Jedi News and all the costume groups, 
basically in two months we've raised 11 grand for make a wish which wow. is fantastic and i know that amount that we raised from celebration doesn't even include what the 501st raised at their bash which i think's in a, a again uh, another huge chunk of change so it's fantastic the convention felt a bit smaller because everything was in that one place. But actually, mm. because they'd moved the main stage into like the queuing hall next door yes. as well, that's, I think, actually worked really well. Because I know before you've had the main hall spread out and therefore it kind of like felt a bit disjointed. But actually having everything in one main hall actually worked really well. It felt like everything was kind of fairly close and accessible. Obviously, the signers were still upstairs, but it didn't necessarily feel like we were detached or a million miles away from everything, which was really handy, of course, when you had a bit of a prisoner run on Sunday and then you start <laughs> running around the, um, the convention centre. I was heartbroken to miss that because all the pictures yeah, that have come I was back... well have gutted, been, yeah. I've been so good. And so, yeah, I, I mean, it's the second... I bought my Nikeena outfit for Celebration... Yep. Didn't have time to do it there because I was Likewise. doing obviously, the podcast stage. Yep. So I never got a chance to do that. And then they had that wonderful picture on stage with the Andor guys. And yeah. then this time I just said to Jonathan Hipkiss, John, I know my outfit is probably two times too big for you. <laughs> so Paul Naylor gave Jonathan his outfit and Naylor managed to just about get into mine because obviously a little bit bigger than Paul. Those guys did the run. I couldn't have run at all, but I saw all the videos and pictures and stuff and I'm like, oh God, I have got to do this. I have so got to do yeah, this. But I've got, to, have I've got to. to bet I've got to buy white boxer shorts first. Yeah, probably. I mean, because I, I only wear black. So yes, pretty much everybody ran barefoot as well. So I was yeah. I'm glad that we kind of went full kind of method as it were and uh, ran up to a couple of the, the Narkina 5 prisoners who were signing at the time and got a good reaction. I, mean, I, I suppose it's a bit like the Wilro Hood run in respects when you do it at Celebration, it's like a home crowd yeah. and therefore yeah, yeah. everybody knows what it is. Everybody gets it and kind of gets a joke. Even though Andor, for us, Star Wars fans, we think everybody's seen Andor. There was a lot of blank faces as we were running around. There's a lot of people who totally got it and was just like, yeah. that's amazing. But there's also a lot of people who were like, what the hell? I think one other f- funny and um, very memorable moment for us was a couple of our rebels went up and uh, met Tamara Morrison, who was yes. there all and signing all weekend. Good friend and also my exo, Jeff Hawley. He brought a couple of rubber lizards. <laughs> So he goes to have a photo with Tamara and he kind of has this like lizard hanging out of his nose and Tamara kind of like looked at him, didn't quite get it to begin with, but then totally got it and just kind of cracked up. So then ends up getting a lizard and sticking it up his nose and what have you and having a wonderful photo. And I just yeah. thought that was fantastic because me and Jeff did it with Daniel Logan last year and, and Daniel got it and he thought it was funny, but like to do it with Tamara, I thought was even better, just genius. So yeah, that's a, a winning photo if you kind of spot that on our social media at any point that's the reason and the story behind it i agree that was the picture of the weekend for me the look on their faces was absolutely priceless (laughs) we can't just talk about lfcc as much as we would probably like to and we will return to london film and comic con later in the show there has been some really good news for star wars this week the 75th primetime emmy nominations came in and star wars did phenomenally well Mm. it had nine nods for the mandalorian eight nods for andor five for Kenobi, one for Light and Magic, and not only in the technical departments, which you would expect, but music got a nod for Light and Magic. For Andor, it was outstanding drama. There were some seriously heavyweight nominations coming in, not so much in the acting department, sadly. I mean, you think of some of the performances that we did see that we thought would (laughs) be standout Mm. performances. But regardless of that, given the amount of nominations for Star Wars as an entity, I mean, that's got to be seen as a, a monster success, hasn't it? You know, it's just extra credibility, I think, for the franchise. I mean, Star Wars has always done well in the technical 
categories but and i think actually what's really nice is seeing a nomination for light and magic because i think that is by far one of the best documentaries i think it's come out of lucasfilm and and disney well worth watching if you haven't seen it but yeah and it's nice that you know they've had cinematography nominations for various episodes you know i mean it is a bit of a shame there wasn't any best supporting actors or main Mm. actors and stuff like that i think it's really difficult to kind of pick out one outstanding performance when they are almost ensemble performances have strong performances right across the episodes Hopefully, as the award season kind of starts to kind of roll on and more kind of nominations get announced, we'll see even more of these accolades kind of come our, our way later on in the year. Absolutely. I mean, the 75th Primetime Emmys take place on the 18th of September. Fingers crossed there's other things happening in the world of uh, entertainment that may may inhibit that somewhat. Yeah. Well, given that there's ups and downs outside of the television realm of Star Wars and various other things happening in and around Lucasfilm, great to see that not one, not two, not three, but four Lucasfilm Star Wars projects get these big nominations. Definitely a massive tick in the box. Hi, this is Tamara Carlson-Woodard. I work on the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian, and you're listening to Fanta Tracks. So this past Tuesday, the 11th of July, the latest and probably final trailer for Ahsoka landed on StarWars.com and other places as well. Phenomenal trailer. gives us much more of a glimpse of what we're going to see on the 23rd of August when two episodes of the show land on Disney+. Plus. We'll definitely be doing a reaction chat about that, no oh, doubt yes. about it. Can't wait. Of the trailer, what we've seen, we see Thrawn in there, we see more of Sabine in there, we see Ezra talking, we see lots of other stuff yeah. and some very cool vehicles. What did you make of this trailer? Wets the appetite just a bit, doesn't it? Oh, it's it just does a little bit more than uh, wet the appetite. You know, somebody said to me, oh, it's like the Star Wars Rebels reunion that we never knew we we wanted. I'm like, hell yeah. But it's everything. You know, there's, there's a shot of a Mothma in there and I think this will be somewhat more impactful on the Star Wars chronology Mm. and the canon and I think some people are giving it credit I think this will be something that's really going to shape how future Star Wars TV series and possibly films are going to kind of coalesce together in the future Ashley Eckstein speaking to Cinema Blend was talking about the Her Universe fashion show which is coming up at San Diego Comic Con next weekend while she was talking about that she was also asked obviously about Ahsoka and mentioned to people that you need to go out and watch Clone Wars and Rebels and Tales of the Jedi and all the other stuff. And quite rightly, she's hyping what's out there on Disney Plus and her role in it, which is understandable. But I wonder, given that Ahsoka is a character that fans in the fandom get mm-hmm. and love and understand, yep. is there the worry that it's a little bit like you guys running around LFCC at Olympia shouting one way out when two out of ten people get it and the other eight look blankly? The reason I say this is because... It feels to me, because all those shows are on Disney+, Plus and Lucasfilm are making a concerted effort to push and promote Ahsoka, and again, there's other factors that may inhibit that to a degree, flipping slightly to Indiana Jones, Indy's kind of come out of the blue. To people who maybe weren't around for that first big indie rush back in the 80s, and then again when Crystal Skull came out, how important is it to get Ahsoka really out there so people understand? My point is, do you think Ashley's right and that you need to watch all the other stuff? Or do you think we should be able to just come to this as newbies, if you like, and just watch Ahsoka and take it from there? If you start watching Ahsoka and you get an episode or two in and it's not working because you feel like you have to go back and watch it, and I think potentially that series has failed. You know, every single Star Wars property is, at on one point or another, a jumping in point into the universe and the galaxy. I'm really curious as to see how they go about explaining it. And I suppose the question is, is how much do we need to know about Ahsoka's relationship with Sabine 
and Hera that we, you know, specifics that we're going to need for this series to work. We don't actually really need to know anything really about Sabine. The whole Darksaber thing, I'm sure will come up, but, you know, we don't need to know the history of, like, you know, her wielding the Darksaber, I don't think. However, we see her with a lightsaber, so there's probably going to be some kind of reference. And again, it's that thing of like, okay, well, you should be able to take this series at face value, get as much out of a series and enjoy it without feeling shortchanged that you don't know everything. And for me and for you and for the fans who have been with Star Wars for many a year and have watched Rebels and Clone Wars and stuff, it's very hard for us to then take a step back and, and switch off the memories that we have to kind of say, oh, we can just watch you like that. We're going to see, you know, the connections. We're going to see the Easter eggs and the little nods and stuff that casual viewers may not necessarily pick up on. But then, you know, as long as it's done in a way where you're not necessarily alienating the new audience, then I've, I think it's OK. It will be a fair chunk of time between the end of Rebels and when Ahsoka starts. And we don't know what, you know, how, how often Ahsoka bumps into Hera or bumps into Sabine and stuff like that. The galaxy, as big as it is, is also quite a small place, it seems, in Star Wars. So there could be a number of different things that actually could have happened that we don't even know about and we're only going to learn through the series. What you say excites me yeah. in the sense that because they've left a lot of open spaces, normally, we, and again, it's the thing we touch on a lot, Star Wars, by definition, can be constructed to leave gaps because you know there's other outlets to fill in those gaps should you want to do it. But this is part of the Feloniverse, whatever you want to call it. So they are and do keep a fairly tight rein on that storytelling. And so that gap you just talk about, because we left them off at the end of Rebels, which was, what was that, 2018, five years ago, that's where we left Sabine and Ahsoka here as Kid and all those characters. And I just wonder, because things have clearly happened, you mentioned the Darksaber, Mandalorian fans will be interested to learn that Sabine has a history with the Darksaber, but how is that going to be presented to them in live action? But also these gaps, if we weren't getting so much Star Wars content in comics at the moment, it's all about Empire to Jedi. Dark Joys is about to start. We know we're getting close to the era of Return of the Jedi and moving beyond that when I assume everything will reset to issue one again. But I just wonder, that time period, will it be done in flashback within the show? Will it be a novel that an Adam Christopher or a Claudia Gray or somebody like that might have the opportunity to tell? Will it be a Marvel miniseries? Do you think Favreau and Filoni will allow other people to tell those kind of stories? Because clearly a lot has happened here. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? And I think we've commended in the past Filoni and uh, John Favreau for really kind of keeping the Mandoverse under wraps. So we haven't actually had many spin-off properties, have we? We've had the um, the season one adaptation as uh, Marvel Comics, but that is pretty much about it. We've not had any, and really any ancillary content, other storylines, unless uh, something that I'm forgetting about the Mandalorian or Grogu and, and even, you know, some of these some of these other characters. So therefore, I wonder what we will get. And potentially some things that Falavro may have said, OK, yeah, you can have a story about this, talk about this, but, you know, this era or this character's backstory or in between history between Rebels and Ahsoka, it needs to be kind of off, you know, off limits. So... I mean, we remember like George used to do that as well, didn't he? Like back in yeah. the expanded universe days, like you could basically have a story about any period of Star Wars except the Clone Wars. That was always off limits. And we had plenty of opportunities to kind of have, um, you know, expanded universe stories and offshoots and stuff at that point. So, you know, it'll be interesting just to see because on one hand, what it will do is it will focus the story and it does therefore then mean that you only watch the Mandoverse and Ahsoka. And and if you've watched Clone Wars, 
And if you watch Rebels, then you've got the full story. But you don't suddenly have to feel like you need to watch and you need to read and you need to listen to like an audiobook and you need to like pick up the comics. That was a thing with the first journey to The Force Awakens. Not so much for the second and the third one, but for the first one, I think everybody maybe slightly misread thinking that they had to read all this stuff to kind of get an idea of what the story mm. is going to be for The Force Awakens. And actually what you learn when you read all that None of it really mattered. I mean, you, you found out that there's people looking to steal the, the Falcon. But like, you know, the, the big kickoff book, um, Aftermath, you know, everybody's going to plowing over that for like little bits and nuggets and stuff. And, you know, to my mind, there was like very, very few bits of information in that that actually informed on what we saw in The Force Awakens. You know, and I think that's that's the right way to do it. I think the expanded universe... And legend and all that stuff is there for those who need it, but ultimately it's watching the visual screen, watching the visual medium, which is what Star Wars is all about. That's where we should get the main thrust of the story each time. In years past, in terms of, of the story, in terms of what's out there, it's felt more proactive than reactive. And I say that in the sense that, for example, San Diego Comic-Con is coming up. I know this is merchandise as opposed to storytelling, but San Diego's coming up, and Loungefly's big reveal is a is a Cassantan backpack, and yeah. Hasbro are doing a Cassantan figure. It's stuff from Book of Boba Fett, which came out last year, and so uh-huh. a lot of stuff, not just merchandising, because there is that lead time, we understand that, not just merchandising, but in terms of storytelling, you referred to the uh, Season 1 Mando adaptation. Season 2 has just begun. Clearly, they want to get those done to catch up to a degree. But I just wonder, given that Favreau has quite clearly said, and I don't know how they're spinning it quite the way they're spinning it, but it feels like they're saying it was always the plan that Mando would kind of become the character he is by the end of season three and much more sort of taking a step back. When you look back to season one, especially season one, and then season two just exploded and the whole world went nuts. And then literally the whole world went nuts because of COVID and everything got put back. Mm-hmm. Now that it feels that Bo-Katan is as primary a character in The Mandalorian, which is a fairly open title for a show anyway, as Din Djarin and Grogu are. Din Djarin and Grogu, especially Grogu, are like the merchandise giants of the saga right now. Opening the story boundaries to tell stories about them would seem to make more sense given that they're not as primary in that show as they once were and they clearly had other adventures that bonded them to the degree that they bonded they wouldn't have bonded as closely as they did just based on the what was it sort of 16 episodes we saw before the end of season two and then the separation and then the reunion in book of baba and then season three felt like a very different relationship between the two characters to be honest, I think this is a good juncture, isn't it, in the Manda, like the Mandalorian and his story to probably go back and be able to flesh stuff out or flesh things forward. You know, it kind of felt like, and I kind of got this from the gallery episode as well that came out not so long ago, but the focus on this season was very much Bo-Katan. And even in that gallery, you know, there there was very little Mando in it. You know, we had a, like a couple of grabs from a couple of, a, you know, stand-in stun guys and stuff, nothing from Pedro. And whilst they alluded to the fact that, you know, he is a happy ever after, but these kind of heroes and gunslingers never stay in one place and, and happy and, yeah. you, know, the, you know, forever after for long, it's also a good point whereby, I guess, depending on what happens with 
Pedro Pascal whether or not he wants to continue as the Mandalorian in any capacity or they have to pivot away from that you know they could do that you know you could almost kind of go right okay well that's it because of whatever reason they decide to continue with Bo-Katan and make her the focus and not even drop in on Din Djarin for a while but you know that's also a point where you could kind of just have some adventures I mean these guys both of them together you know that first series very much was like adventure of a week I think there's definitely scope to have those kind of adventures with some of these characters totally have an Ahsoka comic right you know where basically all she's doing is looking for clues towards Grand Admiral Thrawn mm. and you know what it's like comics don't need to be full of like all these easter eggs and connective stuff to the actual main show she could just go from planet to planet to planet and have kind of you know some adventures and you know help some people out and stuff like that in their own condensed arcs and there might just be a little clue at the end that kind of pushes her on to the next star system but actually has no bearing at all on what is going to go on in, in the series so it's there's ways of doing it but, you know, it's whether or not they're comfortable kind of letting the other kids play with their toys in the sandbox, I think, isn't and it? That's what it comes down much, to. Very much. And there's also been uncertainty, COVID and, and the strikes that are happening now, the situation that they had with Gina Carano. Thinking of a broader plotting of storylines, you've got Mando, you've got Ahsoka, you've got Skeleton Crew. There was going to be Rangers of the New Republic, which now kind of feels like it'll probably be folded into other stuff or or revamped or changed into something else. My point is, is that if Filoni and Favreau has got a master plan of storytelling, which will presumably culminate with the film that Kathleen Kennedy brought up at Celebration, yeah. how much do they want to allow? How many portions are they going to sort of siphon off to the side to go, well, comic guys do that and book guys do that? It's it's a difficult mix, isn't it? And And when you've got all this meaty storytelling coming up in Ahsoka next month... I guess this is the real tell, isn't it? This is this is the one that will determine what happens with Favreau and Filoni going forward. If this is a big hit, if this happens and then Skeleton Crew does well, what happens? Will they keep that tight control? Axillary storytelling is just adaptations rather than new stuff. I wonder where it will go. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com. For Star Wars News 24-7-365. So this past Thursday, Bob Iger newly returned to Disney and having just signed a contract that will take him through to 2026, made it very clear that Disney planned to slow down production not only on Star Wars, but also Marvel, their two primary properties, as part of a cost containment initiative. They've had some choppy times lately. Pixar's Elemental didn't do so good. Obviously, sadly and I can't quite understand why, Dial of Destiny is not connected with audiences. Little Mermaid didn't do as well as they hoped. Ant-Man and the Wasp didn't do the figures they were expecting. So there has been some issues, and there is a sense of course correcting going on here with Iger coming back. And he basically says, you pull back not just to focus, but also as part of our cost containment initiative, spending less on what we make and making less. And he basically says that there's been too much Marvel and possibly been too much Star Wars if there can be such a thing, which I think we both agree there can be too much Star Wars. And so he is making big changes, not only the changes that he lays out here, coming off the back of the real-world issues we've had over the last two or three years, which has affected all entertainment you know, across the board. Do you think that is probably without planning it to the betterment of Star Wars, that it makes it that eventizing thing we talk about, Kathy Kennedy's <laughs> best new phrase ever, do you think that will help eventize Star Wars by making it more of a, of a rarity? 
maybe open up the doors for ancillary stuff that we were talking about earlier with books and comics. Maybe they have an opportunity to tell more stories. Where do you think it's going to go? Mm, yeah, it's a good one. Star Wars is, is one of the very few franchises that has a repeated and ever consciously growing fandom because there's so many different avenues that Star Wars fans can get into Star Wars. Therefore, they don't necessarily find themselves in the same situations with their content as, say, Indiana Jones did, which is I don't think there was enough new audience hunger to really get it to the numbers that it needed to do. Yeah. I thought it was a good, solid film. And this is a problem, right? Okay, maybe this is this is the problem. It's maybe this is the same issue that Solo had as well. People came out of Solo and they're kind of going, yeah, I, I thought it was all right. I thought it was really good. It was all right, you know? But they weren't like, oh my God, you need to go and see it. And so therefore, like, if you're kind of like, if you've got 10 quid in your pocket and you've got the choice between seeing Indy 5, which is a good film and everybody seems to enjoy it, but, you know, it isn't really lighting anybody's world on fire or maybe going to see, I don't know, the next Mission Impossible, which, you know, a lot more people are talking about or whatever, you go and see the Mission Impossible. With Star Wars, they were lucky that they were able to really encapsulate, like, the nostalgia factor when they relaunched it. And let's let's call it a relaunch with Force Awakens, because it was. First time Star Wars has been on, on the cinema for a good 10 plus years. Reinvigoration of, of the fandom and the franchise and stuff. And I think they pushed too hard with that for one film every year. Admirable as it was, not because Star Wars and, you know, we have to stick to conventions. You know, Star Wars was always three years. But, you know, these films take a lot longer to gestate than people realise. And actually, yes, whilst a, a new film was coming out every year, these films are still taking two or three years to really make, if not longer. The problem is, is that like we've been hit over our heads recently in let's say in the last 10 years or so with franchise after mega franchise after mega yes. franchise after yes. every property that has ever been a standalone film is now a target of the, the studios to go, right, you know that film that we did in 1986? Why don't we reboot it and let's make it into a franchise? Well, let's, doesn't you know, that sound like Willow? Exactly. And look what happened to Willow. For one, there's not really a diehard audience that's hungry for Willow content. Willow is one of those things. People of a certain age, such as myself, you know, Willow, Beetlejuice. That's another good one. Mm. Beetlejuice, which again, standalone film, hadn't thought about Beetlejuice in a million, billion, trillion years and probably haven't seen it since like 1998 or something random like that. They're, they're doing a remake or they're doing a Beetlejuice 2, which is yeah. basically going to be the relaunching and hopefully the, you know, the casting off of the, the Beetlejuice franchise. And I think that's the problem. Some studios maybe need to embrace the risk of just putting out a, a single standalone film for what it is. And not have to kind of go, right, how are we going to make this into a spin-off? How are we going to, you know, franchise that? But that's where the money is. That's where the money is for them. Because that's yeah. where you can create your Mandalorians and your Book of Boba Fett's and your Andor and stuff. Because you load that onto your streaming service. And that therefore produces subscribers, which therefore drives up the share price, which therefore makes the shareholders happy. That's what it comes down to. I think it seems clear now with indie, in retrospect, and really, we're not that far removed from the release of the film, but it's no. made about $270 million worldwide so far. Myself and Matt went to the press screening. We sat with the Star Wars Sessions lads. We all sort of said, how much is this film going to do? I said, I said, I'd love it to do Ragnarok figures, 700, give or take. I said, I think it'll do sort of six, 650. I was mm. being, I thought, conservative. Now we look at it, it seems clear that Star Wars, you can release less Star Wars and make more money out of it because yep. the anticipation for Star Wars has always been the thing that has kept it high in the hearts and minds of the fandom. What if? 
what about maybe this maybe that hypothesizing mm. isn't it and all the stuff that goes around it you talked earlier about bringing people into star wars the different avenues of doing it you were doing it this time last week at lfcc you were dressed up as a stormtrooper walking yeah. around olympia that's an avenue of bringing people into star wars we did see indiana jones cosplayers but for every one indie cosplayer, there was probably 30 Star Wars. The point is, is that I don't believe that at the heart of it, indie's any less loved than Star Wars. I think Star Wars is beloved in a different way to indie. But I really do think that one thing that is, this has shown, despite the fact that we as older fans who've watched those indie films numerous times were thrilled to bits to see Harrison get that last ride, too much to his satisfaction. He's made that very clear. He was 81 this week, and he's made it very clear that he was very pleased with the film. The brand awareness of Indiana Jones mm. wasn't big enough to sustain a $300 million movie that wasn't part of a broader IP. It's its, its own thing. I've just come back from seeing Mission Impossible. It's the seventh Mission Impossible film that was a spin-off from a TV series that was very successful in the 60s. If this film came out now with no other movies and this was the first Mission Impossible film, maybe it wouldn't do as well as it has because it's coming off the back of six other big hit movies. So the brand awareness wasn't there for Indy. That sounds ridiculous yeah. because that character is a zeitgeist character. But I think to younger kids, kids in their teens... I was going to say... Looking at it, a 70-year-old or an 80-year-old guy playing... Uh, you know, yeah. a guy in a cowboy hat to them. It's like, why would I want to go and see that? I mean, But also, it's difficult, isn't it? Is it a zeitgeist film... Like just generally, or is it a zeitgeist film for people of a certain age? Yes. You know, how many films have be, ever been made since day one? How many films, you know, it's, you know, hundreds upon thousands of films. And like, we probably only remember 1% oh, yeah. of those films. If you know, that. Uh, yeah. If that. And a half, half of those films are probably complete and utter rubbish. But in the Western speaking world, from when we started making films in Hollywood and stuff like that, there's been hundreds of films and um, and some of them just go by and that's it. Obviously, we need franchises, but I think we've had too many. And I think in in the case of Marvel, we, we had a core group of Marvel superheroes that everybody seemed to love and was universally easy to get on with. Iron Man, the Hulk and that. They had the right balance of humour and, uh, you know, action and a bit of peril, stuff like that. And obviously, they've introduced the second set of superheroes, Ant-Man and Doctor Strange stuff. But they haven't resonated in the same way with the audience and there's not that newness and clamour it just feels like you just go and see another Doctor Strange film yeah we're maybe at the turning circle where you know some of these studios might just have to rest some of these franchise for a bit to kind of you know either rebuild and rethink DC Houston it now they're having a big rethink with James Gunn whether or not that's going to work I don't know that makes all the sense actually that kind of links into what's going on at the moment outside with the Directors Guild having their issues the Writers Guild ongoing yeah. strike and now the actors have gone on strike it's going to have an effect on production. No doubt about it. There's post-production, there's stuff that's about to film, there's stuff that's still yet to be finished, there's pickups. We've just heard that Deadpool 3 has stopped shooting and they're not finished, they're still not complete and there's other product productions that are still months away or weeks away. I think they're two-thirds of the way through the second Dead Reckoning Mission Impossible film. Everything stops. In terms of Star Wars and off the back of what Bob Iger has said, he's basically saying, let's slow this down, there's too much stuff out there and we know that actually you don't need brand new Star Wars every week because it becomes too disposable mm -hmm. in that, oh, I'll, I'll just binge it, I'll catch up. You should not think of Star Wars in terms of, oh, I'll just binge that. To me, that's a disastrous state of, of affairs for Star Wars to think that you would binge it because if you're binging it, then you're not watching it. It's not appointment television if you're binging it. So given that there's going to be this pause, forced pause, which we had during COVID for totally different reasons, 
could they play that to their advantage? And by that, I mean, could they once again, and it seems ludicrous to say this for Star Wars, because if ever there's an IP that's an event, it's Star Wars. Is this the chance to once again eventize Star Wars? Yeah, I think so. But I think they, they eventize it differently now. I think if they were to try and eventize it by creating a drought and a hunger, like they've done in the past, for let's say, you know, and the next new Star Wars film to come out is the Ray film, I don't necessarily think that will have quite the same impact as it has done. However, you know, look at the characters that are resonating. Grogu, <laughs> the Mandalorian. I think and those some of those characters are the ones that I think will carry the franchise further than Daisy Ridley and the Ray film. I could be wrong. And I'm, I'm more than happy to be wrong, but I think that is almost what they do. Is like they, they focus on building up like the hype and the furore around the Mandoverse and what's happening with that. And that might be the way, because we know that it's kind of leading up to the events of Force Awakens on, on one shape, way or form or another. That, again, is the way that you kind of start to create a bit more nostalgia around, you know, the First Order, where some people were... Why didn't you just call it the Imperial Remnant? At least harking back to what we've had before. You know, there's that connective tissue, but calling it something completely different didn't necessarily kind of resonate with people, but maybe this is a way to do that. Because let's be fair, Grand Admiral Thrawn as a, as a villain gets a lot of people excited, and some people get overly excited by Grand Admiral Thrawn, and they, they're going to be using him in Ahsoka. I'd like to hope that he you know, gets to the end of Ahsoka and, and becomes maybe bigger, bad, that kind mm. of overarches maybe the first couple of films or something, rather than one and done and, and tied up at the end of Ahsoka. I think that might be a mistake. There's a lot of goodwill, so to speak, around that character. And obviously, if he's portrayed well and if they do it in the way that actually makes people feel like he's a serious threat, then he could be considered somebody who could hang the franchise on and push it forward. Hello, Vanthatrex! Vanthatrex, I screwed it up. Hi, Vanthatrex. At Film and Comic Con, we had the chance to speak to a whole bunch of people on the second stage, as well as some folks on the main stage. The first of those interviews with Robert Ems is already out there on Vanthatrex Radio, but the next piece of audio is with Zach Cohen. Zach played a Naboo soldier in The Phantom Menace, and Paul Naylor and Jonathan Hipkiss took their trusty Zoom, had a wander up and down the convention row and spoke to some of the guys and the first person they spoke to was Zach Cohen so here's Paul and John at London Film and Comic Con 2023 talking to Zach Cohen from The Phantom Menace Right, just where you ask yeah, me questions right, Yes <laughs> <laughs> So we're with Zach Cohen and I can see there's been a last minute change of letter there so Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they, get they're dyslexic <laughs> They can't spell my name right You played a Nubu, Nubu officer? No, I was ground support for ground the support. Rebel Alliance. Right. So if it wasn't for me, the spaceships would never there have taken off. There you go. Off. Excellent stuff. Uh, you got a technical background? Uh, <laughs> I couldn't tell you about my background because I'd be arrested. <laughs> Excellent. This this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I was actually, um, they thought I was a Naboo soldier. Yeah. But my proper title was ground support for the Rebel Alliance. Okay. Which uh, do I look like a soldier? You do. What, yeah. This one? Yeah, you With do. With a helmet on my yeah, head. Yeah, they all look like soldiers to me. Oh. <laughs> That's interesting then that it was written as that because going deep into it, but the Rebel Alliance wasn't to be formed for another 14 years. So yeah. that's interesting that they put me down as that then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. but the 14 years previous, I was still at school. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of soldier am I going to be? <laughs> Toy soldier. Yeah. Oh, dear. So... Of the scenes that you were in, is there any particular ones that stand out to you as, as uh, a favourite? I've got a good story for you. Go for it. Well, you see this little punk here. Oh, yep. no, where is he? The young Obi-Wan. Ewan. 
You no. No, when he was uh, this one. Oh, oh Anakin. So yeah. I'm in. Oh yeah, yeah. His name was Jake, wasn't yeah, it? Jake yeah, Jake Lloyd. Yeah. So I'm in a forest, and I said to him, "Listen, Sonny, I'll be more of a Jedi Knight than you'll ever be." <laughs> and then we're walking back to the uh, to the studio, and I see this thing coming out in the forest, coming at me. I put my arm up, and the little sword swung at my head with a branch. <laughs> I managed to stop it, and then all the assistant directors come running over. So, you all right? You all right? Because uh, that would have caused a story. <laughs> And I went, no, but you want to tell that little <laughs> he's got to bind his neck in. <laughs> Mate, you can't go around swinging branches at people's heads. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that was interesting. <laughs> so that was interesting. How long were you on set for? Uh, I think a couple of weeks we've done. Oh, OK, yeah. cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Did, and he, was it, obviously we've got, we're at the desk here, images of a lot of action sequences. I was in was that it? scene. When um, the clones or the drones, yeah, droids, the droids and, they say, right, and they say release them. Yeah, okay, yeah, they yeah. were um, yeah. they came in, they took over. But I remember running round, and I was told I got to like jump over things because this is where Ewan and uh, Owen Liam, yeah, were striking them down with their sabers, yeah, and we were jumping over their bodies as they were yeah. laying on the yeah, floor. The I thought I was doing ballet, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so the actual droid pieces they were on the floor were they no no so no that, you yeah. had to make you know because it was all CGI so you had to not all like the original yeah so you had to pretend yeah <laughs> it's all pretend yeah exactly yeah. we were just talking to Eric and the more that we go on with Star Wars now there's only a finite number of actors who will ever be directed by George Lucas okay to hold that esteem what was it like to be directed by him was there much? Is it like we hear he is focused on the technology and the scale, and it's right? And it's just. Yeah, I think that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were shuffled. At the end of yeah. the day, we were movable props. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you know what? It was a good crack. I loved Star Wars as a kid. Yeah. Phantom Menace came along. Just, you know, the, some of the spaceships in the studio were fantastic. Yeah. But a lot of it was green screen. It wasn't like the originals. No. Where, we and we were kids. Set. You know, we yeah. were a similar age. Yeah. You know what it was like. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. S- when you're 60? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Right, cut. <laughs> 52. 50 September. There you go. You still got yeah, your hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Really ought to buzz cut it, really. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so like, like you say, a lot of the sets, they were part built, and then the rest of it was like green screen. Green screen, yeah. In, yeah. But, I mean... Obviously, us being a similar age, you'd have grown up with Star Wars. I loved to it. To be in it, you'd have thought, this is a dream uh, come true. It's soon wore off. Yeah. yeah. Soon, you know, hot studios, uncomfortable costumes. Yeah. It ruined my imagination Did, for uh, it. Well, yeah. yeah. And then I watched it, and it definitely blew it out of the water. <laughs> See, I was the, I was the, the audience that that film was made for. I was eight right. when it came out. Were so. you blown away? Well, I'm still... You know, <laughs> you're still and it's your life. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. You make a living at it? Well, I'm a stand-up, but I, we, we do this. We did, no, this is voluntary yeah, stuff, yeah, this is. Yeah, yeah. Stand-up yeah. as in what, comedy? comedy oh, like, cool, yeah. OK. Yeah. 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 Entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. He's not my son, by the way. Oh, no, I, no. that never crossed my mind. <laughs> so. Would you yeah, like no. him to be? Oh, I've sort of adopted him, haven't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of done. Yeah. Can't shake him. No, like a bad smell. Room last night, I don't want to know, actually, guys. Neither do I. No. Crikey, you're well hypnotized. Exactly, yeah. Have you been in anything else since? Did you carry on doing that kind of thing? 
I think that I had kind of enough of the industry. It was waning a little bit. I moved yeah. to Cornwall 15 years nice. ago. Nice. And there's, you know, after doing it for 20 odd years, yeah. you don't want to do anything for 20 years. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I got out. Yeah. I escaped. Yeah. What did you, what, 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 do you still work now, sir? Or? Uh, I'm actually semi retired now. Yeah, yeah, same here. I yeah. enjoy my life. Yeah, yeah, too right. <laughs> life is for the living. Life is for the living, to the max. Yeah. I live to the max. So here's the takeaway quote from Tony Gilroy. I don't have any idea what the audience is. He's not talking about the people that watch it. He's talking about the amount of people that watch it. And this week, bearing in mind that he is steering very clear of promotional responsibilities for Andor in the week that it's got all those wonderful Emmy nominations, he is talking about the streaming numbers not being available to showrunners. He spoke to IndieWire, and in that, they asked him the question. They said, critics raved about it but it doesn't necessarily have the highest viewership for Star Wars. What would you tell people who have maybe hesitated to watch it? Tony Gilroy replied, One of the central issues of this entire Labour experience is that I don't have any idea what the audience is. We don't know what that is, and I think the obscurity of data doesn't help anyone. I think it looks like low-hanging fruit and easy profitability for certain corporations, but in the end it just crushes any kind of free market. It crushes the economics of the business, it means people are being overpaid and underpaid and never properly paid. It means the productions are overloaded with expenses up top because what used to be commonly residuals and royalties now have to be front-loaded. I think it's distorted and warped and it's close to ruining this amazing industry. So I wish I knew how many people watched. I wish I knew who they were, but I'm not sure that's possible. So basically, he's kind of talking about demographics. He's talking about all the different elements of judging and figuring out the audience that any given show would have. It seems fairly straightforward and simple for a network show with the Nielsen's and, and operations like that, but for streaming shows, not so much. Now, it's a long-winded question, but I say this all for a purpose. You work in the industry, so you'll mm-hmm. have an, a, an angle on this that, that I certainly wouldn't. Given that streaming is the beast that it is and that residuals and royalties are not what they were, some people, it would give them a living wage, essentially, but now it seems that a lot of these directors, the She-Hulk director for one of the season one episodes, picked up a residual for $326 recently. What do you make of this? Shows need to know their audience to give them what they want. And in terms of numbers, the perception is that Andor was far, far, far below what maybe Obi-Wan, Booker, Bob and Mando is. Where do you think this sits? Tony Gilroy makes a very good point. As a creative, you know, he has no no bargaining power. You know, he, he can basically go in if he wants to maybe try and increase a budget for season two, let's say, and they turn around and go, well, the numbers aren't very good. And he's like, oh, I don't know, because I've not seen the numbers. They always used to be the things that, you know, one of the most important things to be able to share with the production and the staff. With streaming, it's, it's difficult. Taking the numbers based on seven days, 30 days, 120 days, 180 days, or is it something that they're looking at at the micro level and also the macro level to kind of get an idea? Because, again, you think something like Andor may have not done the figures that, you know, they had hoped initially, but I think we can all agree that there's been a decent amount of positivity from the community of that people have actually gone, Do you know what, I'm going to go back and watch that. So you would think the cumulative numbers overall would increase and, you know, maybe get it up to where they want it to be. At the same time, certain films and certain TV shows will just not necessarily appeal to everybody. And you kind of surely need to have a variation. Otherwise, you know, all last Star Wars will just be Mandalorian. 
Yeah. You know. Pew pew bang bang. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and or they did some they took some brave risks. They they spent more time. It was more visceral. You know, there was a lot more going on than just what we saw with the bang bangs and the pew pews. And I think those are the kind of things that actually will start to elevate the franchise into something more than just popcorn movies. If they can get better and bigger writers and make these kind of more kind of nitty gritty shows they're the kind of things that actual viewers will kind of hang on to and will invest more time in i think when andor came out and i'm pretty sure if we went back and looked and listened to what we were talking about when the show came out i think we both thought that this was one of those shows that will be a repeat viewer and a long burn it's not going to have the immediacy of a, a Mandalorian or a Book of Boba that feels very full on and in your face in comparison to Andor, but that the more people watch it and the more it seeps in because it is quite deep. And when you look at the Emmy nominations, Rick's Road, the final episode, episode 12, that's the one that picked up most of the nominations yeah. because it's such a mm-hmm. hefty episode to a level that I would argue even some cinematic Star Wars doesn't reach. And so it really is a beefy show in that sense. One thing that Lucas did very consciously, was he worked on the technology, just honed it and sharpened it and honed it and sharpened it with the purpose of, because in independent company that Lucasfilm was, they really had to watch every penny. When Disney took over, it's part of a, a broader organisation. It's a different beast. That thriftiness, if you like, of the penny pinching wasn't maybe such a concern because now it's an IP that we can monetize rather than the beast that's holding everything on its back, which is what Star Wars was to Lucasfilm for the most part. I wonder now when you have a show like Mandalorian or really Andor, which they built that town, physical builds of things going out on location compared to maybe some of the other projects that they've done that have used the volume, the cost. Andor is an expensive show. It's all up on the screen and it shows. But as you say, wouldn't it be better for everybody concerned to know the numbers that it's getting, not just for Andor, but for any show? Or are the numbers not as strong as maybe we think they are? Yeah, possibly. Maybe that's what it is. What kind of conversations are they having with Tony Gilroy? They must have some rough estimations and forecasts as to what they imagine the the viewership would be for something. You know, when you've got something like Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever, any of the big streams that has so many genres on there, there must be some genres that they don't expect to hit big numbers. You know, mm. you think about maybe a documentary, like a World War II documentary. I mean, what kind of numbers are they expecting that to do? But yet they will either spend the money to commission it or they will spend the money to acquire it so they must think it's going to be worthy to have on their platform they seem very cautious about sharing any information like they're never particularly forthcoming with like the you know the number of subscribers they have and all that all the time Um, but they'll talk about they'll talk about you know the minutes that this show has been talked about on social media positives and the interactions in that sense which kind of feels like you know streaming a record off iTunes compared to going down the shop and buying a physical disc. Yeah. To me, mm-hmm. owning the damn thing makes more sense and holds more value than just listening to it on the radio, which is kind of what streaming feels like, even though there is a pay and receive element to it. You work for Sky, so Sky's got lots of outlets and lots of channels, and you know that a primetime show on Sky One or whatever the... So <laughs> you know that a show on Sky Max is going to have serious numbers or Sky Atlantic, you know, significant numbers... Conversely, a show on one of your smaller channels that's going out on a Sunday evening at 11 o'clock may have 30,000 people watching it, let's say. I'm picking a number. 
No, and but that yes, don't look so true. good. But actually, for that market, for that time slot, for what that thing is, it's probably actually really good. So it is very much perception, isn't it? Yeah, it's perception. Withholding the numbers is only going to benefit the streaming services, you know. And I suppose maybe they see that as potentially a way to um, help control the costs and the maybe the demands by some of the um, the talent. If you don't know how much your viewers, your shows raking in, and you go to renegotiate your contract. Do you over try and sell yourself and say, well, look, you know, you need me for a show. But what happens? Do they turn around and go, well, actually, only one million people out of 180 million subscribers watched your show last year. So, no, we're not giving you that 20% raise. We'll give you a 5% raise. Are they even honest with those numbers? Business at the end of the day. And it's like, you know, as Bob Iger says about the, the strikes, you know, it's, whilst we can kind of commend the, the actors and the writers for, for going on strike for the reasons that they are, it's fundamentally a business and we aren't dealing with independence anymore we're dealing with multi-billion pound conglomerates and uh, other massive companies who um they can just afford to sit and wait out because uh, me and you are still paying our subscribers to netflix yeah. and disney and amazon and paramount plus and everybody else they're not losing the money but obviously then what happens in six months or a year's time or 18 months or even two years time when the shows that we we're expecting to receive are being delayed is that when we turn around and go, do you know what? We'll cancel our subscription until um, you know that show's ready. What's the point of wasting money if we're not going to watch stuff on your platform anymore? There does seem to be a big sort of dichotomy between the content creators and the companies that release them. And I guess somebody like Tony Gilroy, for example, right now he's working for Lucasfilm. He's yeah. an independent contractor. He has a contract when that contract's up. He could go and work for Netflix, Amazon, anybody else he wants to, because that's job that he does. So you get something like Tony Gilroy, whilst he's working for Disney, he's going to try and be as loyal as he can and play the game and market and merchandise and promote and push it because it's his project that he's put all his time into. But by the same token, with this strike going on at the moment, he's sitting on the fence, isn't he? Because he's, he's with yeah. the actors, but he's with the company that's paying his bills. It's not going to be sorted out anytime quickly, is it? I don't think so. There's two big issues. There's one that is obviously about the you know the use of AI, and that's very much a proactive concern that actors and people can be replaced, and you know can be they can be paid for one day's work, and then they're asked to go in front of a 3D scanner, which you think is what all the supporting actors and everybody did for Star Wars films. You know how many how many interviews have we had where we talked to somebody and we said, oh yeah, you know I go and do like ten minutes on set, and then they asked me to stand in front of 3D cameras. Yeah. yeah, and they, they grab my likeness. The archiving of that has or has been potentially going on, whether or not Lucasfilm at the time were even thinking about using it for that kind of thing. So there's that. So there's the protection of future work. And obviously then there's the, the issue, which unfortunately I think Gills have been a little bit slow coming to, which is this, you know, reparations for work done and how if if you're on a streaming platform and you and you're a writer and somebody gives you your check for writing their show but then you used to get residuals every time it was shown on network tv but yet that's not happening on netflix or you know if it is very a very small amount how is that fair where's the you know incentive to make the best product that you can do you kind of almost feel like you're being taken for a ride so i can kind of get where they're coming from but it is the whole thing of like Big business and it's when the shareholders and the share prices start falling and it's when the shareholders i think start to complain that's when things will happen because at the time being they made an offer and the offer apparently was kind of laughable by all intents and purposes you know it doesn't really seem like there's any middle ground at that moment the problem is is that it's people such as yourself 
and me and obviously mm. all our listeners, we're the ones who are going to lose out in the long run when the series get cancelled because there's not the demand to pick it back up after a long layoff. Some shows and films that we might have got, which were greenlit, are now not greenlit and have been put to the, the back burner. Yeah. That will be the, um, the downside to it all, unfortunately. Well, I think that is where we're going to leave it for today. So if there is a question that you've got burning deep within your loins and you want to release it into the world, but you don't know how to do it, Mark can tell you how you can get in touch. Okie dokie. Well, thanks for listening to Making Tracks. If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit phantomtracks.com or check out the free... Free! Wow. And the tracks app through the app store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions like Mark just said by emailing radio at fanthatracks.com. Comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Fanthatracks and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. We're not Stitcher for very long because it's closing next month, sadly. And as always, thanks to James Temple for composing the Fanthatracks intro, Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. Remember, tune in to Good Morning Tatooine live Sunday evenings at 9 o'clock UK time 4pm Eastern 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and check out our Fantatrax Radio Friday night rotation every Friday night 7 o'clock UK time for new episodes of Phantom from Down Under Planet Layer Desert Planet Disc Start Your Engines Collecting Tracks Can of Fodder and special episodes of Making Tracks and every Tuesday at 7 o'clock UK time for your weekly episode of Making Tracks and that's me done for this episode Thanks for that buddy I suppose that is us done for this episode so all that is left for me to say is thank you very much for listening we hope you have a fantastic Star Wars week whatever you do. And of course, as always, may the force be with you. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's another episode of Making Tracks. Falavro. Falavro. Yeah. Yeah, let's that. go with that.